I didn't have these, you know, very stereotypical pedigree for venture. So the first year, I think, is the most difficult in venture, especially when you are coming into a new market. I'm an operator, I'm a builder, my entire background is product. There's a feedback loop in product. There's not one in venture. I mean, we're in the business of building companies. You realize that it's all relationships. In relationships, you always have to, especially within our business world, have to bring value. My entire nightlife was every, you know, meetup, and I had to start building that network. Welcome to Venture Confidential, a series of interviews with top minds in venture capital. I'm your host, Peter Chapman. In today's episode, I interview Jana Lee, a principal at Blue Run Ventures. We talk about how she got into venture, we talk about Blue Run's investment thesis, and we talk about the importance of effective content, both for startups and for venture capital firms. As always, if you've got questions about Venture Confidential, email me at vc at heavybit.com. Jana, welcome to Venture Confidential. Thanks for having me. You had a somewhat unconventional path into venture, and I'd love to start there. How did you get into this business? Previously, before I started Blue Run Ventures, I was an entrepreneur. I had two companies prior to this. The last of the companies was Tapestry out of Betaworks in New York. I think you know all our Betaworks guys too. It was a really interesting time at Betaworks when I started working on Tapestry with Borthwick, who was technically my co-founder of that company, which is kind of funny. Sorry, Borthwick? John Borthwick, the CEO of Betaworks, a lab-type incubator, now a fund in New York. But at that time, it was really a lab. It's where um, Chartbeat, Bitly, all of those things really came out of those early social analytics companies, social flow. But it's always been very um, consumer-driven. It can be applications. I mean, even Dots, the game, came out of there. So that's about the time I came on board. Um, I just shut down my company, did the 10 days, no internet, was like, talked to Borthwick and said, um, yeah, this is great. I'll see you in 10 days. I'm going to read 10 books. I'll come back. And that about that time kind of lined up what they were thinking about this company called Tapestry. So I joined them. And at that time, they had just kicked off their hacker in residence program. So that's where the Giffies came out of. Um, Dots actually came out of there. This is way more of an East Coast thing, but Poncho. Do you guys know Poncho? What's Poncho? It's, it's a Bushwick cat that tells you the weather. They were just on Planet of the Apps. <laughs> yeah, they're still kicking. Um, they were in that original class. There's a few others that were there as well, but it was a really cool, interesting time. It's a low-risk situation for an entrepreneur at Betaworks because you have a lot of resources. So if it's design resource or, I mean, John's a product guy as well, so we, once a week, would just you know nailed on product there. But I was at Betaworks for about a year and a half building Tapestry. As that business kind of shifted, it was a short storytelling platform that really turned into a native mobile ad unit, not where my expertise was. So we brought someone on to kind of run that side of the business. At that time, Betaworks was really looking at revenue opportunities, so we didn't want to kill it off yet. I started helping with some of Betaworks' other portfolio companies, um, and at that time knew I was going to move west. Um, started speaking with Medium on a content role, because that made a lot of sense. It was a bigger, better, more funded tapestry that I was already doing kind of in the content space. And while I was here talking with Medium, I get this text from an old friend, Jeff Tannenbaum had a Blue Run Ventures, and he just asked me if I was ever interested, you know, in the venture route. And I texted him, "Fuck no," because that just wasn't in my plan. And then I was like, "Why? Do you know I'm leaving Betaworks?" And his response was, all caps, "You fucking leaving Betaworks?" 
And I was like, yeah, do you know I'm in San Francisco right now? And uh, he was like, picked up the phone right away and he was like, get down here. So I took the Caltrain, met the partners. Again, still had no interest in it until I started talking to the partners more. John and Jonathan are our partners at Blue Run, been there you know, since the beginning, 20 years, and started talking with them and really realized that what we know on the East Coast of Silicon Valley really probably is more storytelling than what is actually happening. So hold on, because I'm <laughs> it, I'm interested in in the know. Why was venture so unappealing to you back then? Like we've talked about before, I'm an operator, I'm a, a builder, my entire background is product, I like to break things. There's a feedback loop in product. Mm-hmm. There's not one in venture. I didn't learn that till later, but um, it was something that I never thought that I would be in that route. I also didn't have my MBA from Wharton. I didn't have these, you know, very stereotypical um, pedigree, you know, for venture. So that wasn't really anything I thought about. I knew I didn't want to start something new after going at it twice. I needed a breather, but I, I still wanted to be in something fairly new, uh, medium at that time. I mean, it's been three years since I've been out here. So yeah, medium seemed like a really good opportunity <laughs> at that time. But after talking with John and Jonathan and Cheryl, she was a partner there as well, we really started talking about what the role looked like. It was an associate role, so I was coming on as going to be the oldest associate probably in San Francisco. I bet there are some older ones. I just don't know them. But even all of these things around Silicon Valley and everything around venture, I just did, I wasn't sure. And then I started thinking about it. When I looked at one role, I could do that. You know, I knew the content piece at Medium. I knew it was going to be you know partnerships and strategy, and I could do that. But then I looked at this venture thing that was finance and things that I had no idea how the proper process worked. At that time, you probably could have asked me. How Carrie works, or you know, so these things I just didn't know, but that looked really, really scary. And I look back at all of the things that I did, even jumping on board with BetaWorks, and when I built my previous company, Fun, I, I kind of see that fear of unknown as like challenge accepted. So I was offered the role at Blue Run and moved across the country. I used to take the Caltrain every day down to Menlo. <laughs> that was a hard shock coming from transit in New York City to transit here. Oh. By the way. It's not it's not a fun comparison. No. Yeah, I lived in Manhattan briefly and when I first moved to San Francisco, it, I had nothing but terrible things to say about it. Well, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. I was like, I'm going to take the bus to the Caltrain. I'm going to take the Caltrain to Menlo Park and I'm going to make this work. And after so much wasted time, yeah, I gave up. I drive a lot. <laughs> I'm a Californian now, I guess, right? <laughs> welcome. Uh, welcome. Yeah. You've converted. 3 years I'm in. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it was a very um non-traditional path. I think that, oh, I mentioned this before too, that after I was offered the role, I then Googled, how does one get into venture? Mm. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) At least I'd already signed the offer. But um, again, it kind of just reiterated that there's a stereotypical VC in the Valley, and I didn't match that. And I kind of, that intimidated me a little bit, but it also, like I said, you know, the fear of that really made me, um, again, think like challenge accepted, right? I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't have the Wharton MBA, but I had a lot of experience building, crashing, and burning two companies and being part of big product teams before that, that I think was really rare and knew that I could really offer something to companies. How did the team at Blue Run sell you on the role? I think it was how they started talking about their founders and their companies. So do you want me to tell you a little bit more about Blue Run so I can kind of... Yeah, let's start there. What is Blue Run? 
Yeah, so Blue Run Ventures, we've been around about 20 years. We've had great hits like PayPal and our first fund. We have Waze in there. Coupa is one of our companies that went public last October. We're your kind of typical Series A investor. We do dabble in some seed when the, we're really opportunistic about that. But with any of our funds, we just kicked off our sixth fund. With any of our funds, we only are going to do about 12 to 15 deals. And that's in two and a half, you know, three years. So a lot of no's, but those yeses mean a lot. So we get hyper-involved with our companies. Um, there's five of us on the investment team, and we all know every business because there's cycles, right? Not every, We talk about how you work on the funnel. There's not going to be one person that knows every part of the business. So that's really how, when you asked the previous question, that's how they really sold me, was the involvement with the companies and then even how they spoke about their founders. I saw a lot of opportunity, and I also saw like I said before, that I could really have impact with those companies. Awesome. So you start really tepid on venture, you start talking to the team, and they cue you in to a really intimate sort of relationship with the founders, where the entire team is really in the weeds operationally, yep. and you feel like you've got something to contribute because you've done this before and you've got a ton of expertise on the content and product side. Yep. What was it like diving in and, and bringing some of that to bear year one? So the first year, I think, is the most difficult in um, venture, especially when you are coming into a new market. So I think the team told me, we're hiring you on for your New York network. And I was like, yeah. I, I mean, I know that ecosystem well. I know the founders there. I know investors there. But when I got here, I didn't know that many. And couple that with no feedback loop with mm. really inventor. So no one's telling you doing a great job. No one tells you you're not doing a great job. It is really, here's the job, go make things happen. So I think that first year was really, really hard for me. So coming from the product and operational kind of background role, about six months in, I take a look, I'm like, I don't know how I'm doing. I know when I build a product, when it's broken, pretty quickly, and I just didn't have that. And I felt like I was attending, I mean, my entire nightlife was every, you know, meetup and every, you're shaking your head like, have you been there or you just know better? I'm so averse to meetups. So that was part of the whole like Silicon Valley thing. I thought like I was afraid to come to, but I had to start building that network and I had to be fearless at that. And I think about six months in when I was really banging my head, like, I don't know many people here. Like, how come companies aren't just coming to me? We have money. Like, why aren't they talking to us? You realize that it's all relationships. And then I realized, okay, I'm good at that. I realized that in relationships, you always have to especially within our business world, have to bring value, right? Mm -hmm. And so I actually think that's how we originally met, where I just reached out out of the blue and I was like, hey, I'm building this thing. You know a lot of CTOs and developers. I'm building this thing. And I tried to make sure that I was bringing value to you and bringing value to maybe the CTOs or CEOs of your company. And so I really realized at that like six-month point of like, okay, I can say no to meetings first. That was really, really important. <laughs> Not taking everything. I wasted a lot of time, I think, in those first six months. So, But I also think it was training wheels. So I tried to make sure that I was bringing value if I'm meeting with any of our companies that we've invested in or if I'm meeting with a new company. I mentioned that we're a, series, a typical Series A venture firm, but it's really important for us to meet every seed company because Hopefully they're going to need that A, and it's the best to build that relationship at that seed level. And so where can I bring value at that stage? So you meet the founder, you believe in the company, and what can I bring at that stage? So my product, background, any, any of those skills that we have, you know, and just bring them close as possible. So you said two things there that I want to dive in on a little more. And mm-hmm. You said 
Venture doesn't have a feedback loop. And that's been a pretty common refrain in this podcast, so I'd love to talk a little bit about okay. how you actually get feedback. And you also talked about bringing value outside of investing in capital. Mm-hmm. Let's start with feedback. What are some ways that you know if you're doing a good job? Yeah, so about a year in, you start to realize that people starting to respect you a little bit. And why I think that was in my career was that I respected their time and brought value, and I could see that feedback loop that way. Because it's not like, hey, we invest in this company, and a year later, they're doing great, and there's that feedback loop. That's not how it works. But I think that I started building those relationships, and both at the VC level with other investors, and at the founder level, both our companies and other founders, that I was bringing value to them. And so my deal flow started to pick up. Deals were coming to me, and that's the feedback loop, right? So I really kind of got in that flywheel and knew what to start repeating, and that's where I started to realize like I would host these dinners of early stage entrepreneurs that maybe weren't even at seed yet, but they were all getting so much value from each other, and then obviously I was getting value out of that. Um, I was learning, so as they mature, you know, they they may or may not get to that A level, but they definitely hang in the right crew to keep sending me additional fabulous companies. So I guess I made up my own feedback loop. Well, it sounds like you're saying the feedback you're getting is sort of the relationship, right? Like yep. you know you're doing a good job because people are coming back to you and they're providing you with intros. You said one of the ways that you provide this value is just connecting entrepreneurs to each other. Yeah. What are some other ways that you can help companies before you've invested in them? Um, I think some of the earlier companies that we've looked at, a few that we've gotten pretty close and maybe passed on, I think that I just get in the weeds from the beginning. If I'm going to understand your business, I want to know the product. And not only, I don't want you to sit there and present the product to me, I want to really understand it with you. And I'm probably going to tell you when I have ideas. And I try to be careful because the founder really needs to get there on their own. But um, I almost have those brainstorming sessions with them and like, Let's whiteboard this out. Like, what does this look like in you know two years? So I think that with before. So you've been at this for three years now. Yes. You said that the first six months, sort of a furious flurry of activity, going to all the meetups, taking all the meetings you can. How is the Jana of 2017 different than the Jana who's just started as an associate? Just as busy. Um, same amount of meetings, just really targeted. Mm. I think that the deal flow, um, it takes that time to build that, but I think that the warm intros that you get now, it's a certain person will email me, even kind of before I even look at the company, it's like, I, I know that person, I know that fund, I know that founder, I will take that meeting. It might not be something we invest in, but I'm sure there's alignment somewhere. But my day-to-day is still as busy as it was you know, three years ago, Yeah, but just more targeted. You said it's important to talk to every seed company. Is there a particular area of focus that Blue Run likes to hone in on? So I think in Blue Run history, we were really consumer mobile focused. We were mm. kind of on that train before. You know, Nokia Venture Partners one of our, was one of our LPs in the beginning, and so you know, you look at the ways in, the, in those companies that came out of that. That's where my background was too. So there was alignment there, but we really kind of uh, matured since then. And if you even look at something like. Ways or Cabbage, which is one of our companies. There's a lot more similarities, and I think what we really look for is real-time data systems that can change the way an industry works. So let's take it like what Ways. So Ways gets you from point A to point B. That's the consumer kind of you know thought about that. But if you look at it, there was access to real-time data, right? 
And that really changed how we drove and move. And so if you look at cabbage, cabbage is access to capital for small and medium businesses. I wouldn't say that we're in fintech. We do dabble there, but they make real-time decisions on loans for small and medium businesses where a bank could take, you know, two, three weeks. And it's not just the instant decisions, it's the access to that like real-time data about those businesses, connecting to their Quicken or whatever that might be, all of those signals that they can take so much quicker. So it's those real-time pieces of data that are really shifting how that like loan industry is working for those small and medium businesses. So if you were to open Blue Run, uh, brv.com, so if you open that up, you'd look at our portfolio companies and you'd kind of be like, okay, so they have some enterprise, they have some fintech, where is this? But I think that's kind of what strings a lot of those together, is just that real-time data, how can we like change how those major industries kind of function. Okay, so this is really interesting. You're telling me that to date, Blue Run has largely invested in companies that are building products that react to lots of information in real time. Is this fundamental to who Blue Run is? Or is this an investment strategy that you see changing over time? So I think it's a great question. It leads into kind of how Blue Run ebbs and flows. So, like I said before, we're very we were very consumer mobile. If you thought of us like food spotting ways, like we were at the forefront of that. Um, and then as we kind of grew a little and aged a little, it went into more of the real time data systems. And so now we're kicking off our sixth fund, and that's going to look a little different. So I kind of love how when you look at Blue Run's portfolio, where it looks like. There is um, companies that may look, you know, all over the place. We're in Cabbage, which is fintech. Or we have Coupa, which is enterprise. And then you look at Human API, which is in health. Well, those are all siloed into, you know, your typical industries. But when you look at what we're doing with each of those, like Human API, is real time data as well. So that's kind of where we were. We still get really excited by that. But now we're kind of looking forward to what what does the next twenty years of Blue Run look like? And so we're pretty fluid around that. So I guess you could call us the typical generalist at this point, but we do still get excited around you know nerdy data. I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk about that initial engagement. But one of the things that I like asking VCs is sort of how do you start to diagnose a company? What frameworks do you apply when you first start working with a company? So maybe you could tell me about sort of the first. Let's say two weeks of Blue Run engagement post Blue Run investment. What are some of the first questions that you start asking? Okay, so after pitch, after investment's been made, and then we're actually full on involved. You're the in. two weeks after. Okay, yeah. we already know a ton about you. I would say through that process with us, like we're pretty deep. You've met the entire firm. Um, we've met most of your team. We're looking at what were those things we said in in the investment process that you know that 12, 18 months. What does that look like for you guys? And then we see what's the first thing that we need to tackle. Mm. It, generally, at the Series A, it's hiring, right? Mm. And um, so that is where we just dive deep into our networks. Some are hiring so much um, that we you know go to our staffing agencies that we have you know access to. So that's generally just how Series A's go. They're like. We have money. We need to hire now. So that's generally the first one we go to. But we look at deeper in there of go to market. If there's pricing, by the time we invest, again, it definitely depends on the industry and the product. But by the time we invest, we like to see kind of repeatable customers, whatever that customer might be. It could be consumer, enterprise, whatever it might be. So we kind of look at and dissect how that process has gone, and if there are any hurdles, or if it's going really, really well, why? And then how do we scale that? And I think that's where Blue Run at the Series A, and that's why we really, really focus on that, is that how do we scale that, make it a real business, and we 
build that company and really get you to that B. I mean, we're in the business of building companies. Could you walk me through an example of scaling customer acquisition? Yes. Actually, a really good one to talk to you about is Blue Cart, actually. So Blue Cart is a B2B2B, which is like which is adding another one there. So Blue Cart is a company that um, works with restaurants and suppliers. And so they're that software in between where right now it's well, not anymore because we're around, but typically it is phone, fax, and paper to place orders for the lettuce you get every day, the beer you get every day, all of those things. And so they started working with restaurants to try to place the orders with the suppliers. And they were kind of getting a little traction on both sides. And so when we got involved, it was pretty early with Blue Cart. So we looked at, okay, so when we get a supplier on, that means we get 10 to 20 restaurants on. And once you get that restaurant on, they want the rest of their suppliers to be on. And so you can see how that kind of that flywheel starts going. So we really kind of took a look at that and what was really working for them. We also saw that they had ads on their site for when you were actually a client. So we do things like, hey, let's not monetize there. Let's really look mm. at where this is. And they weren't charging yet. So you can imagine the state we get some companies that are just like hitting everything. What can we do? What can we scale? And by the time they get to us, we really look at, okay, what's really working? What's the actual opportunity? And so with Blue Cart, it really was like, okay, let's focus on the supplier and then the rest will just like flywheel on. And it's really been working. So they're live, I think, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, I'm pretty sure. Um, and we've been with that company maybe a year and a half and just seen numbers catapult because we focused so early on what was working there. Which in this case was building relationships with suppliers and trusting that the rest of the ecosystem would come from that. Um, a few different things. So it was finding the value that the supplier brought and that we didn't maybe necessarily need to charge for certain things with the supplier because we needed to get the mass amount of suppliers in every market on. So finding that like charging too early or, you know, freemium or what what did that look like? So we looked really closely at that. And then a really interesting thing about Blue Cart was we had Suppliers come on, then a restaurant would come on, and a restaurant would try to place orders with all of their suppliers on Blue Cart. Well, it looks like because all of the information for all the suppliers is on the platform, so it looks like all of them are there. So, smoke and mirrors, Blue Cart would actually place that order with a supplier that wasn't on just so that restaurant would like fulfill their order. But then they go to that supplier because they can call and make the order just like it, anyone else could. Um, but when they would then get to that supplier, we have four. 20, 25 of your restaurants that are trying to place order through Blue Cart probably should get on. So just really at that early stage, examining how that was working. And just like sometimes it is smoke and mirrors, and then you examine that that worked, right? And so how do we build the business that way? You said that it's very much a team effort that everyone at Blue Run has their own area of specialization. Mm-hmm. How do you fit into the Blue Run team? I think that I tend to fall in, go to market when it goes around content, like with Blue Cart early on. I think I was really digging in on their email marketing and what that looked like for them in more consumer companies. It's all, everything from product and usability to building their content team. With early stage like that, with a content team, it's really like how do you have the fewest people to, you know, output the most? I'd love to hear more about that question because content is so critical to so many of our companies. Yeah. How do you have a maximally effective content team? I think this is a very venture-like response. Is it depends, right? Great. So 
my background, content, it's consumer, right? It's very different than I think companies that like Heavybit think about content. I think content in like the heavy bit companies is really going to be more around um, thought leadership and those type of things. It's not going to be virality per se. So my previous company I built Tapestry, right? It was a social platform um, to build short stories. So we had a lot of interns making really wonderful content that then you know somehow caught a flywheel within just that perfect millennial age of like taking the cream of the crop of Tumblr creators that pulled it over. So, so different than when you look at an enterprise company that's trying to create, you know, a content program around marketing and outreach. Mm, so the companies you're working with tend to have specialized content teams that just do content? No, I'm, I'll clarify that a little bit. So because we do have some consumer, we have some enterprise, we have mm-hmm. some, it, it just depends. So the one I was most involved with was nom.com, and that was the one where we, you know, I went in and helped them build the content team and the partnerships and um, everything to really scale that content team and their reach. And so we could do that with three people with different, you know, partnerships that aligned with, you know, the food industry for them. You know, a common refrain I hear from our companies when I ask about marketing is that we should be doing more content marketing. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we have a blog, we publish once a month. Okay, the last blog was two months ago. I guess like sometimes one of us will write an article, we could be better at it. How do you get a company to treat content like a first-class problem? Yeah, so what's funny is that I think that even though we help our companies with that, I think a lot of venture firms struggle in that. I just as you were going through that, thinking like, oh, I haven't posted a blog post in like a month. I mean, we're guilty. So how do we like convince companies that when we're not even doing it? I think through trial and error, or actually, I was listening to the one of the previous podcasts, Tammy, really talk about this: how you make so many experiments and do them rapidly, and, and you know. Measure right. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone believes, like every company, um, especially when you get to enterprise and that you know space, really believes that yes, I need a content strategy. Yes, I need a marketing and email strategy. But like that's not their expertise. So look at the company. You look at the space that they're in, and you really kind of examine where their expertise is, or where where can we put you at air quote you know thought leadership, and then how do we Amplify that. Where do we make sure that? Because if you post a blog post and you're a seed company, and the chances of that getting seen by who you want it to are pretty low, right? So who can we partner with? Who can we have guest? Right? All of these things that these little tricks that you can do because it only takes one to really kind of get that going. You also have your current customers that you can use as well to really be that thought leadership for you as well. So if you have a great customer that's already considered a thought leader, like really um, diving in with them. You said something really interesting there, which was that many venture firms struggle with content <laughs> themselves. I certainly empathize with this. Is content important for venture? Um, I laugh because a podcast is content, and you're leading this. We're doing podcast. it now. We're doing it right now. <laughs> so um, you definitely know the answer to your question. I I do believe it's really important, and I think gone are the days of um, the. Blowhard, you know, blog post from Venture, but I think it's really important for, at least for us, and I think for other, you know, early stage firms like us to really explain and put our our thoughts of like why we made a certain investment out there. Mm. Um, 
that's important one because I think it kind of sets the tone for you know future investments, but I think it also shows where our heads at around a space, uh, around an industry, and then you also can just from that type of content really understand how we work with our founders. So our in the venture firm world, I think all of our content is straight marketing. It's straight like how do we get into the conversations that we need to be attract the flies that we need to. It, it's those type of things. Are you measuring this? Um, as Blue Run? And, and trick question, I should yeah. say, we struggle to measure the effectiveness of, of okay. our content. Thanks for making us look good. So we are actually building all of this now. So I think I, it's been kind of a theme throughout this conversation with you is that how we're really looking forward to what our next 20 years. We've had a really great run. How do we get to keep doing this fun job for the next 20 years too? I think it. I'm building all of that structure now. So we're everything from redoing our site and how we think about content and really engaging with our companies to really put out their thoughts through our platforms as well. And then how are we, what we're teaching our companies to do, actually start doing with us as well. And the biggest reason for that is we are a small team, smaller than our companies, and the only way to, I think, scale that with such a small team is to really um, measure and kind of hack what you can. I'd love to get super tactical here for a minute. <laughs> because the, the gap I often feel some context, you know, I come from a fairly analytical background where at Heroku we tried to quantify the results of everything. Yeah. Sometimes that was easy and sometimes that was hard. One of the domains where it tended to be harder was content. Mm-hmm. So we know that when we write good content, people come to our site. And we have this theory that the more people who come to our website and engage with our content, the more deal flow we see. But it's really hard to draw that end to end story of, this blog post generated this much because more deal flow could come from anything, right? And so you can't connect it directly. Yeah, and you know when people talk to us, sometimes they'll say like, "Oh, I saw some great videos." You're like, "Oh, I'm going to go and mark that in my spreadsheet. That came from this." <laughs> yeah. So I guess the question I have is: Is there another level of sophistication that we should be aiming for, or is it appropriate for folks like you and I to just? Measure that content is generating traffic and trust that more traffic is better. Always trust that more traffic is better. But I do think that I'm in the middle of that experiment, to be totally honest. And I think that I have never put the content hat on for a venture firm before. And so, can we do what we teach our companies, or can we do what I did at previous companies? At a venture firm, in the same way, and can that be tracked the same way? So that's literally where I'm at right now, and I would say that's about half of my half of my job right now. We're gonna have to get you back on here in a year, post okay. experiment. We'll just come back every every year. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so you're just at the beginning stages of getting a little bit more empirical about your content's performance. Yep. What motions are you going through right now? Um, there's some soft motions, like as we meet with a founder, we tell them that you know we're founder friendly, and I think every venture firm says that. But how do you portray that in your content, in your site, and in, in everything that is said about you? I think that I'm kind of experimenting with that. So those soft things that are really, really important, rather than hitting our site and it looking like a banking site, you know, there's there's certain things like that that's really important. And so being on the the more empirical side or the more number side, it is. Getting analytics set up correctly um, and actually starting that measurement. Simple as Google Analytics, right? And then managing our reach, all of that. No one's been there to do it. What does it mean for a website to be founder friendly? 
So that cringeworthy word, founder-friendly, <laughs> we don't have, Blue Run is founder-friendly on our homepage. But there are things like we help build great companies, like just to, in that, like we, right, rather than we invest in. Those are the little soft things that really actually do matter. But that's how we speak to our founders when they, before we invest in them. It's a big shift in conveying that. And I think from all aspects of content marketing, I think that's pretty important. I'm thinking about an earlier episode of Venture Confidential that I listened to but was not on, where a partner talks about his companies like he's in the company. He says, you know, well, we're going after these customers and we're experimenting with these <laughs> price points. And I remember as a young, a sort of a new venture capitalist, venture capitalist. Right. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. It really feels like he's on the team. He's not just sort of pulling strings from afar. Yeah. Um, I think both from my background as being an entrepreneur and then what I've learned from my team, especially John Malloy, he's our founding partner. And again, in that first six months, attend a lot of meetings with him and just listen how he communicates with companies, Mm -hmm. both ones we were looking at and investing in. He is 100% a part of those teams. And just like you said, it's like, we're looking at this market, we're looking at this pricing structure. I think I really learned that really early on and the questions to ask um, companies that are pitching us around that as well, and what the, what the team looks like. All of those things are minor, but they really do matter. Okay, so founder friendly tone, being a human, being part of the team, talking about your company's trials like they're your own trials. Any other tips for venture capitalists on how they can Ugh. show that they're really on on the side of their founders? Again, I think that comes from practice. More so than words, right? Mm. I know that we're talking about content. I know we keep going back to that, um, but I think that even when I said early on in in my venture career was building that like trust and value, right? It's those actions, and so you know, watching my partners, watching other investors, you know, in the community, um, I think that's way more important, and that kind of says it before you. But I think it's really important to match the tone in your content. Hmm. Like you can't just say we, you know, are founder friendly and we are part of the team. You have to actually do that work. I'd love to bring it back to you. Watching John, are there ways that you shifted how you interact with entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think when I came into this, it was like, here are these questions I need to ask, and I need to know what they're raising, and I needed to know, you know, their business model was, and like I read, this is what I'm supposed to ask. And then I started to realize the more important questions and where kind of our values really aligned. I think one thing I didn't say about Blue Run earlier is that the tech is always the most important piece for us because in our world, if everything shit hits the fan, you can still sell the tech, right? Uh So it's really, really important to us because I think that it's always at the core. So how I kind of changed those questionings was like, not how are you going to use the funds, but let's talk about how big is your engineering team right now, and what's your plans, you know, once you close the A, what are your hiring plans, and you can tell quickly if it's hiring up on the sales and marketing at that stage or hiring up on the engineering side. And for us, it's always pretty important to sway on that engineering side. So those type of small things, I really started to shift how I asked questions and how I listened. What are you listening for? You always have your kind of bullshit meter, right? Does their hiring plan or their engineering plan match up with, you know, their product roadmap? And then you're listening for the passion behind the problem from that founder. I feel like these are all very typical venture capital things, but I guess the audience, our audience for this, wants to know that, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I want to end by asking you the same question that I ask all of our guests. Okay. Uh, what do you wish you knew going into this? I thought about this one hard. So I told you I listened to a lot of these just so I could be as prepared for you as possible um, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a really good question. What would I have told myself? It's a long con. I mean, I think it goes along with patience, but it's it's definitely a long con. Let's say a little bit more about that. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to go. So we've talked about my like three-year career in venture. <laughs> I think in the beginning it was like must take every meeting, must close this deal, must you know get this done. And I also thought make a dent right now. And then you know, and I don't know why I had this feeling like in a year or two you could really prove yourself by these deals. And then now I know like everything about this business is a long con. The relationships, the deal flow, the investment itself, obviously patience, like and have a sense of humor. So it's definitely a long con. <laughs> Jana, thank you so much for joining us on Venture Confidential. Thanks for finally uh, letting me on. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Venture Confidential. Venture Confidential is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out our library, home to great educational talks by top investors, entrepreneurs, and other industry leaders.